Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, My guest is uh, Jonathan Peake. Jonathan is a senior lecturer at the Queensland University of Technology in Australia. Uh, We're going to talk about cold water immersion and how it affects uh, recovery and inflammation. So that promises to be very, very interesting. So Jonathan, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, tell me a bit about your background and how did you get interested in uh, this area? So my background is in exercise physiology. I have a PhD in exercise physiology and I'm a keen athlete myself. I've always had a very keen interest in exercise and the immune system and exercise and stress more generally. And over the past 10, 15 years or so, my research is focused on post-exercise recovery strategies. So what can athletes do after exercise to promote recovery? And I guess what one of the areas we've focused on in particular is effects of cold water immersion on, on that um, recovery process after exercise and extending that out a little bit. Um, how does the effect, how does regular cold water immersion affect long-term adaptation to training? Well, is this just cold water immersion or is this contrast, you know, hot, cold, hot, cold? Like, can you give me some details on what kind of protocols are out there? Yeah, look, we we only focused on cold water immersion. There are other other options out there, as you alluded to there. Um, contrast, meaning moving between hot and cold water, and also hot water. But most of my work has focused on cold water. So we've we've typically followed protocols that were developed originally at the Australian Institute of Sport down in Canberra, and we've adapted those protocols to some degree to suit the local climate here in Queensland. We live in a a fairly subtropical climate here in Queensland, so that sort of necessitated adjusting the water temperature to levels that were more tolerable for summertime conditions for for Queensland athletes. What does that mean? What what does that mean? You don't go as cold as other conditions? I don't understand. The researchers and practitioners at the Australian Institute of Sport originally started out using immersion at about 14 degrees Celsius because that was the that was the minimum temperature that um, athletes in Canberra could tolerate. Uh, Canberra has a, a colder climate um, than than Brisbane or Queensland, so. Practitioners and researchers at um, our local state sporting academy, Queensland Academy of Sport, uh, adapted the protocols from the Australian Institute of Sport and reduced the temperature to 10 degrees Celsius because they felt that that was, at the time, they were thinking, you know, colder is better. We now know that that may not be the case, but that's the protocol that has been used at the Queensland Academy of Sport for for some time. And What what does this mean, tolerate? Like, you know, I've done this whole past winter, I've done, you know, hot, cold, hot, cold. I got down to like, you know, I'm using it in Fahrenheit, but I guess Celsius, I got down to like maybe five to seven degrees Celsius, you know, the water temperature. And the effect I noticed is I just couldn't stay in as long, like things would hurt. So instead of, you know, at, at like 14, 15 C, I could stay there for like five minutes, no problem. But when it got colder, like, you know, five to seven C, it was like a minute, a minute and a half. But that was the difference I noticed. Like, wh- what did they notice with the uh, the athletes? When you, when you say they, they couldn't take it, what does that mean? 
I guess they wanted the athletes probably to stay in the water for at least 10 minutes and through a bit of trial and error, I think similar to what you discovered, they found that the athletes couldn't, did, didn't like staying in the water for much more than a few minutes if, if the water was um, less than 14 degrees. That was for the athletes based at the Australian Institute of Sport town in Canberra, but here in Queensland, because the yeah, the normal uh, average annual temperature is a fair bit higher than what it is in Canberra and athletes are often training in hotter conditions. We found that athletes preferred slightly colder conditions, like they could tolerate, they were, more, they were comfortable staying in the water for 10 minutes if the water was 10 degrees Celsius. So there's a bit of a, a happy medium there between how long you stay in the water and the water temperature itself. Well, we're just saying at 10 minutes, like what are they trying to accomplish? Reduce inflammation? You know, make people just feel better, more relaxed. What were the reasons for the protocol and who crafted it? I think physical trainers have been using cold water immersion in their sort of cold whirlpools, whirlpools for, for many years. And the the idea behind using cold water immersion sort of was based on three things. First of all, it was the hydrostatic pressure exerted by the water on the limbs, uh, which theoretically would cause some fluid shifts and fluid shifts that would benefit the post-exercise recovery period and reduce swelling. Then the next thing uh, was to look at for, for the cold water immersion to reduce muscle soreness. So the idea was that by introducing the cold water that would stimulate pain-sensitive nerves or reduce the activity or the, the, the stimulation of pain-sensitive nerves and therefore help to reduce delayed onset muscle soreness. And then the third basis for using cold water immersion was in an attempt to reduce inflammation. So there's this thinking that when you have infiltration of white blood cells or leukocytes into muscle tissue after exercise to help repair some of the damaged muscle tissue, there's a, a an associated what we call a secondary inflammatory response which causes you know, secondary tissue damage because it's some activation of those white blood cells. So the idea was that by using cold water immersion, you would reduce the temperature of muscle tissue and therefore reduce the activity and metabolism of these white blood cells and therefore potentially limit the amount of secondary muscle damage that would occur after exercise. And therefore, all three of those things theoretically would expedite the, the post-exercise recovery period. So what are you studying? People using these protocols, they just haven't been quantified or like what is your study about so we started out we've looked at a couple of main avenues in cold water immersion we started out looking at the how the cold water how cold water immersion influences the parasympathetic nervous system so our parasympathetic nervous system is the, the rest and digest branch of the nervous system the autonomic nervous system so it's responsible for reducing heart rate and we wanted to look at to see whether cold water immersion would benefit athletes in terms of making them feel more relaxed. So we, we did some studies looking at parasympathetic activation and by the and by by that I mean we were measuring heart rate after exercise. And what we found was that by doing cold water immersion after a bout of endurance exercise, that helped to restore heart rate all rapidly. And that was associated with feelings, greater feeling and heart's feelings of relaxation after exercise. So that was uh, a potentially beneficial effect and that sort of confirmed some of the existing literature. That's been quite a consistent finding across the years that cold water immersion yeah, makes athletes feel more relaxed in the post-exercise recovery period. From there, yeah, uh, I noticed when I've done that, it's, uh, again, I feel a lot more relaxed. Usually, actually, I feel quite warm after I've done, you know, cold water immersion. When it got really, really cold, I felt exceptionally warm. It gave me kind of like an idea on how people that, you know, do mountain climbing and die of hypothermia, you know, why they tear their clothes off sometimes when, they, when it gets real bad. 
Because when it was at its coldest and I went in and it came out, I was like hot. And I thought, Phew, man, I'm generating like, it feels like I'm generating a ton of heat. So it brought that to mind. It was just interesting. If you, you know, has there been studies again on depending on the length of exposure and the temperature, um, how the person feels like, you know, temperature regulation after that, how they feel and how their body regulates? I'm sure there have been studies. It's a little bit outside my area of focus, so I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely across the findings from those particular studies, but I will say this cold water immersion affects individuals differently. So yeah, different and different people respond in different types of ways to, to cold water immersion, and some people do exhibit some fairly extreme responses that um, are perhaps a little bit unpredictable. Well, what does that mean? Like what kind of things do people experience that are different? What are some examples? Well, just like what you were saying, you know, some, some people that, well, that was the first story that I, I've heard of, um, you know, people take off their clothes because after a period of cold water immersion, they experience, you know, paradoxically a feeling of heat. So yeah, I, I can't really explain the mechanisms behind that. Again, it's, it's a little bit outside my area. Hmm. Okay. Has this been tested just on athletes or on regular folks? Or is it just athletes after they have done a session of working out? Look, most of the work on cold water immersion, sort of in that, um, in the past, you know, sort of ten to fifteen years, has been done on athletes because that's been the predominant focus for people using cold water immersion is to recover from exercise. But more recently, in the last, you know, five to ten years, perhaps cold water immersion has joined sort of the, some of the mainstream health type treatments so the public is members of the public not not just athletes seem to be using cold water immersion and ice baths in an effort to promote their health oh sorry what what about cold showers versus immersion has that been studied and tested look i don't know of any studies that have compared cold showers versus cold baths in a, in a systematic type of way but as i said that the benefit one of the benefits of cold baths is that you're immersing more of the body in a larger volume of water and therefore potentially you're getting a greater hydrostatic effect so you're getting more pressure exerted by the water against the limbs of the body and that potentially causes some beneficial fluid shifts within the tissues before we continue I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Yeah, but also the heat transfer component, you know, like in the shower, I've, you know, I've done this, I put the water really cold at the end, so you can't have it all over your body at one point. So you have it on your head and neck and maybe shift to the back. So it's, you know, again, the heat transfer is... It's effective, it's localized because it's water moving water against your skin, but it's not your entire body at once. So perhaps the rate of heat transfer is lower or again it's spot versus you know systemic over the whole body. So I guess it would have right. a different effect. That's right. Yeah. So as I said, I'm not aware of any systematic studies that have compared 
you know, the rate of change in body temperature and muscle temperature comparing, you know, sitting in a, a cold bath versus having a, a shower and water at the same temperature. But if I had to hazard a guess, I expect that, you know, core temperature and muscle temperature would decrease more rapidly and be more sustained in response to sitting in a cold bath as opposed to having a cold shower. I've heard some people, you know, it's just anecdotal, but some people at the gym I go to, they're like, oh, you know, when I did cold water immersion after working out, it seems like it cannibalized my gains in the gym. I guess, I don't know, there's this thought that if you do it too much or too often or for too long, that it, it actually uh, impedes your ability to make gains. Have you heard anything like that? Yeah. Well, we, we, we published some of the first original research to sort of establish that idea. So... Yeah, one of my students did uh, a really nice training study in which he had two groups of athletes. So, that, but all, all the athletes did three months of strength training in the gym. And at the start of the study, we measured their strength and we measured their muscle cross-sectional area. And then they did three months of training. So they were training twice a week in the gym, a strength-focused training. And half the group did cold water immersion after their resistance training. So they sat in a, a cold water bath for 10 minutes at uh, 10 degrees Celsius. And then the other half of the group did what we call act recovery. So basically they sat on a bicycle for 10 minutes and just pedaled at a low intensity so that they did an active recovery. We also took some muscle biopsies, some small tissues, some small samples of muscle. So at, this, at the end of the study, we compared all of these things between the cold water immersion group and the active recovery group. And what we found was that the cold water immersion group, both, both groups gained muscle mass and both groups got stronger, but the gains in muscle strength and muscle mass were smaller in the cold water immersion group compared with the active recovery group. So to us, that was a fairly indica clear indication that if athletes are in a phase of their training where they're looking to build muscle mass, so they're in a hypertrophy phase of their training, then doing cold water immersion after every training session may not be beneficial. So the spin that we put on it is that cold water immersion is perhaps not such a good idea during phases of the season where athletes are looking to build muscle mass. So perhaps the early to mid part of the season, but during the later part of the season, when they're sort of entering the competition phase, when they're not so concerned about building muscle mass, it's more about maintaining muscle mass and maintaining a fairly regular training intensity and training volume, then perhaps, and, and also if they're, um, the frequency of their competition, their games is increasing at that phase of the season then there's probably no harm in terms of doing cold water immersion after exercise. So if you're looking for a quick turnaround, a quick recovery between uh, training sessions or between games, and you're not concerned about building muscle mass, only maintaining muscle mass, then cold water immersion, is, there's certainly no harm in doing muscle mass, but um, sorry, doing cold water immersion. But that idea seems to have really entered the mainstream and people have um, you know, the every, everyday weekend warriors have really sort of sat up and taken notice of, of our research and several other groups around the world have been able to back up those, back up our findings. So we're fairly confident that... that how that how longitudinal was your study? You know, maybe over a month, you know, the team that, the people, the cohort that doesn't do the immersion will make faster gains, but maybe over six months it equalizes. Like, how long was the study? Over three months. Yeah. Okay, so, so you saw how, like the effect persisted in both cohorts? Yeah, so both both cohorts, but the the group that did the um, cold water immersion and the group that did the active recovery, they both gained muscle mass and they both gained strength. So they both adapted well to to the training, but the gains in muscle mass and muscle strength were smaller in the group that did the cold water immersion. Was there any you know countervailing benefits? 
Uh, well, as I said, our research and, and the work of um, quite a few others have shown you know, these calming and relaxing effects of cold water immersion. So certainly that's that's one potential benefit. And cold water immersion has also been consistently shown to reduce muscle soreness. The, the, the key here is probably when you do the muscle, when you do the cold water immersion after your exercise and how frequently you do it. So in that first three to four hours after a gym session, there are things going on in your muscles that are really important in terms of stimulating the muscle growth and repair, tissue repair, that are important for long-term adaptation across the weeks and months. And we, we, we feel that if you're intervening during that period and using cold water immersion, then it may not be beneficial to do cold water immersion immediately after a gym training session. It might be better to leave the cold water immersion until maybe three, four hours, even you know six hours, 12 hours or 24 hours after a, a, a gym session if you're interested in reducing muscle soreness. What about doing it before a training session? What does that look that? We've also looked at that in a way. In a way, we, we did a study looking at cold water immersion between two bouts of exercise so we were looking at track cyclists and we had them do a a high intensity bout of exercise and then they did a session of cold water immersion and then did the same high intensity bout of exercise and we found that uh, they did not perform as well on the second bout of exercise so I think doing cold water immersion before a bout of intense exercise is probably not a good idea because you're reducing blood flow, you're reducing muscle temperature, you're reducing muscle metabolism, and none of those things are necessarily going to be beneficial for you to you know, get the most out of your gym training session. The best timing to do your cold water immersion might be three, four hours after, at least three or four hours after a gym session. Okay, so before it looks like it's it would not be beneficial at all, be detrimental probably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. What about the, uh, did you split the cohorts into Canberra versus, uh, I think it was Queensland was the other one? You know, saying the temperature is more extreme or the, the temperature in which athletes, you know, condition themselves in uh, Canberra, I think was less on average. Like, did you notice a difference there? Was that looked at? Uh, well, we we haven't done that particular study looking at um, athlete tolerance and differences in temperature and, and how that water temperature influences training adaptation. Most of the studies that have shown that negative effect of regular cold water immersion on long-term training adaptation have typically used um, cold water at about that 10 degrees Celsius mark. Yeah, I mean, well, when people do ice baths, then it's maybe not zero to see or maybe maybe even lower. I don't know. What about uh, athletes that have done literally ice baths, sit in a trough with a bunch of ice and a bunch of water? I mean, they're seriously... Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I, I think that's probably going to influence. It's well, almost certainly going to reduce muscle soreness. So that's that's probably going to be the main benefit for them. Whether it's so cold that it becomes a noxious stimulus, painful stimulus, and therefore interferes with the nervous system and feelings of relaxation and recovery, I couldn't really say. But I, I think out there, in sort of a, a, in the non-athletic population, more general public population, is this sort of warrior perception that you know. Go colder is better, but mm. in reality, I, I think there's probably some some threshold there. And as I said, it's going to depend on the individual too, um, and what their experiences with their previous experiences with cold water immersion and their regular ambient environment, like um, like like we've shown you know, differences between parts of Australia in terms of tolerance of cold water. Yeah. Well, I mean, the adaptation is, you know, if you're used to it versus not. Now I know why it's so dangerous for people that aren't used to it. To be exposed suddenly to cold, like when when I first started, I was like, 
you know, I couldn't control my breathing and it was like, oh, it was really bad. But then I, I went through, a, you know, I did it like three or four times a week throughout the whole winter and it got colder and colder and colder. And then it was not a big deal to tolerate. You know, I was able to go into, like I said, like really, really cold water that before I wouldn't have at all. Um, and it wasn't so bad. So there's like a conditioning element from what I can see. But yeah, for most folks, now I understand, like if you're going to swim in the ocean, for instance, I would think for most people that are not prepared, it would be very dangerous for them to go in if the water is less than like like 15C or less because they would like go into shock, you know, and they probably couldn't recover, you know, in a cardiovascular sense. And then just in immersion too, like you got to kind of, seems like you got to go slow with it. You know, if you just literally jump in into freezing, freezing, freezing water, I don't think you could tolerate it well. No, I, I, I would agree with that. And particularly people who have existing cardiovascular conditions, yeah. um, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, then yeah, that they need to be particularly careful and you know probably seek some expert advice from a medical doctor before they embark on that sort of thing. But as you said, there's certainly some conditioning benefits and starting out either at doing cold water immersion for just a short period of time or you know, at a slightly higher temperature rather than you know going straight in at you know, five degrees Celsius or less, maybe starting out at 15 degrees, working you know, five minutes at 15 degrees and then you know, working up, increasing the duration of your cold water immersion and reducing the, uh, the, the water temperature a little bit at the same time. That's yeah. probably the, the safest way to go. Did you guys find a sweet spot? You know, again, uh, you mentioned this a bit, but is there um, a temperature below which it's just it's just not necessary? There's really no benefit. Yeah, we, we haven't done any systematic study studies ourselves. All of our studies have been you know, performed at that level of about 10 degrees Celsius, and I'd say probably you know, three quarters of the, the the research around the world has been performed using that sort of um, water temperature as well. So I, I think that that speaks for something in itself, in that there are some systematic reviews which have compared responses across many, many different studies. And I think they have sort of identified that, you know, 10 to 12 degrees Celsius seems to be about right for reducing body temperature and, and reducing muscle temperature if that's that's your particular goal. I'm not aware of too many studies that have gone much below 8 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And, and part of the issue there is just a practical issue in terms of the equipment that we use, the cooling devices, cool, cooling devices that cool down the water temperature in the bath that we use for our research, typically don't go much lower than 8 degrees Celsius, whereas other people using ice baths just dump a whole lot of ice in there and the temperature could be anywhere between two degrees Celsius and eight or nine degrees Celsius. So they've got much less control over the water, over the water temperature. So in research, we always like to control those sorts of variables so we get consistency between responses between individuals. So yeah, we, we, we've typically focused on that 10 degrees temperature. And as I said, systematic reviews seem to indicate that that's, that's a sweet spot, at least for reducing body temperature and muscle temperature. As for it, it, its effect on other things like muscle soreness and feelings of relaxation and calmness, I, I'm not sure that there's enough sort of consistency and seeing the research to be able to make any firm conclusions about the optimum temperature to provide other benefits like those beyond just producing body temperature. In these studies too, was the water circulating or was it still? Because I've also, you know, again, in going in like the outdoor pool, if you sit there and don't move, a layer of warmer water develops around you. And if you move back and forth, it's like, oh, much colder. You know, so there could be a huge difference depending on whether the water is circulating or not. Yeah, look, the, the equipment we used did have sort of a built-in circulatory mechanism um, to keep the water moving. 
because you're dead right. You know, if you're not moving the water, then you do sort of build up a, a layer of insulation. And it might only be you know, a quarter of an inch or, or yeah, half a centimetre or a, a centimetre wide for that insulation area. But that's potentially enough to you know to mitigate the effects of cold water so yeah if you're looking to get the maximum benefits from cold water immersion um then yeah, it certainly pays to keep the water moving or keep your limbs moving a little bit to to, to circulate that water well you could probably do things like this let's say the um i just well i just i'm just gonna make up some stuff in celsius so let's say the optimum appears to be 10 if it's non-circulating but you can go to like 13 which is more comfortable but if it's circulating quickly it'll still have the same effect because of the heat transfer is so much greater. You know, it's still liquid versus a moving one. So there's probably some optimization there where the person is not going to feel as much shock. They'll still get the benefit. You can still maximize heat transfer. You know, maybe you put a little bit of salt in it too. So maybe at a 13 or 15C with salt in it where it's circulating, that's, that's better than 8 or 10C, which is maybe harder to bear. And it's, you know, the heat transfer is not maximized. So I guess there's a lot of levers still to pull and to try, right? I'd agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Okay. So what are the next experiments that you, you guys are working on? Where, where are you going with this? We have done some work on hot water immersion. So an obvious question that sort of came up after we'd finished our uh, cold immersion studies was, you know, well, if cold immersion is negative has potentially negative effects on training adaptation at least in terms of strength training adaptations then would heat have um, positive effects and unfortunately unfortunately in our hands the uh, the effects of heat were not quite so conclusive we were doing some studies we sort of effectively repeated what we'd done with the cold water immersion but did, did the same studies in in hot water so we had athletes sitting in a bath at about 42, 43 degrees Celsius. And the idea behind that was we wanted to give the maximum stimulus. But what we found was, ironically, they, the athletes actually felt a bit uncomfortable in that 43, 42, 43 degree water. Mm. They said they, they found it really hot. And we sort of hypothesized that one potential mechanism could account for our results was that uh, the hot water caused a stress response. So it caused the release of stress hormones like cortisol. And we know that cortisol is potentially, it interferes with muscle training adaptations. So potentially by doing, you know, hot water immersion, really heating up the whole body, then you're causing a systemic stress response, which might interfere with, with the training adaptations that you're, that you're trying to get. So the mechanisms there are, are quite different to, to cold water immersion. There may be other methods of heating that could be more beneficial. So we used cold, uh, sorry, hot water immersion because that was the only sort of equipment that we had access to. But other treatments like microwave diathermy could potentially be more beneficial because what microwave diathermy does is that it, it penetrates the tissue, the muscle tissue, and heats up the muscle tissue without heating up the skin. So you're getting deeper heating effects that might stimulate muscle metabolism um, in a more positive way without individuals experiencing that sort of superficial and systemic discomfort that they would get with sitting in, in, in hot water. And other research, other research has also shown that yeah, hot water immersion could have benefits for populations with chronic disease. So we know that hot water immersion stimulates the development of new mitochondria and muscle and also the formation of new capillaries. And those two adaptations together improve blood flow, or blood perfusion of blood through muscle. 
and also improve metabolism within the muscle. So those those adaptations could be beneficial for people with diabetes, peripheral arterial disease, some forms of cardiovascular disease. And yeah, there's evidence now emerging that uh, hot water immersion could be beneficial potentially for people with neuro- neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia as well. So I think you know, there's, there's probably better support now for the benefits of regular warm to hot water immersion. The jury is still out on you know ice baths. You know, they 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 continue to grow in popularity. You see them a lot on social media. A lot of social influencers using ice baths, and people you know obviously follow those people and follow what they do. And the the evidence around ice baths still remains quite sort of anecdotal and hypothetical. Um, people talk about improved glucose control and maybe coming off their medications uh, for diabetes and anti-inflammatory effects and improving immunity. There's a little bit of evidence there to to support those health benefits. But there's not nearly enough evidence really to say that um, ice baths is good for general health yeah. as opposed to post-exercise recovery strategies for athletes to, to stimulate training adaptations. Mm, okay. Well, it sounds like there's a lot more experimentation to be done. Yeah, definitely. With all these different permutations, you know, if you do, like you said, if you eventually get into contrast, how long for each? Which one do you start on? Which one do you end on? You know, do you end on a hot? Do you end on a cold? Again, what's the delta and the temperatures, you know, the difference? the length, all that stuff. So um, a lot of questions to be answered, I guess. Absolutely. Okay, well, very good. Uh, where can people keep tabs on your work? Look, I must be honest and say I'm not, I don't have a big profile on um, social media. I, I am on LinkedIn, but I, I hardly ever post anything on LinkedIn. I have a website at my uh, on my university. I have staff profile on my, uh, at my university website. So yeah, I guess if people are interested in, in, in looking up you know, some of the stuff I've done, they can go to my um, university profile and there are papers that they can download there. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.